helpful to, you know, underline certain sections, make some notes, because this is a book each of us are going to come back to over and over again. And so if there's any aspect of the book that really mm, struck you as something you'd like to tune into more and more, make sure that you mark it somewhere or write it down somewhere, because, you know, those insights every time they keep changing. If we read this book tomorrow, the same chapter, chances are we won't say half the things we say today because just an, another layer of insight will come through. And you don't want to kind of forget that first inspiration. So here we are, we're on page 331. Babaji's interest in the West. We heard Sri Yukteswarji giving the news on behest of Babaji to Lahiri Mahashaya that his time on earth was coming to a close. And inwardly, Lahiri Mahashaya instantly interiorizes, withdraws his life force, and it says over there, cuts any cord, perhaps, of any attachment he may have created. It's like he just went through, let me see, is everything clean, is everything good? And if there's anything, perhaps, he felt that he was binding himself to, He just snipped that cord and then he returned back saying, all right, now I'm ready. Whenever is needed, whenever God calls me, I am ready. And that moment does come. And this is on September 26th, if you remember, we celebrated Lahiri Mahasaya's Mahasamadhi Day. And this was in 1895. If Lahiri had stayed on in his body just a few more days, he would have been 68 at that time. So just at the age of 68 is when he left. Um, this is the paragraph we stopped at. This was a short time later. This is Sri Yukteswarji recounting. The in- incomparable Guru gave up his body in Banaras. No longer need I seek him out in his little parlor. I find every day of my life blessed by his omnipresent guidance. Years later, from the lips of Swami Keshavananda, an advanced disciple, I heard many wonderful details about the passing of Lahiri Mahashaya. A few days before my guru relinquished his body, Keshavananda told me, he materialized himself before me as I sat in my hermitage at Haridwar. Come at once to Banaras. With these words, Lahiri Mahashaya vanished. I entrained immediately for Banaras. At my guru's home, I found many disciples assembled. For hours that day, the master expounded the Gita. Then he addressed us simply, I am going home. So you can see he started gathering his disciples. He wanted all of them to be around him for that one last moment. And I just, let me give you as much in this as I can physically right now, because I am going home. I was thinking what a a wonderful way to leave this body, just talking about the scriptures. And I was thinking how Yoganandaji left his body. He Mm -hmm. said, I want to leave this body talking about my India. And indeed, the day of his passing, he was talking about his beloved India and he had a heart attack and he just left uh, speaking about his India. And here we... See, Lahiri Mahashaya talking about the Gita, one of the greatest scripture, and something that he was given the mission to interpret the, the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and just share with his disciples like such a beautiful way just to exit uh, with that consciousness and the disciples around also in that vibration of Krishna's teachings. Just talking about um, just this concept of leaving the body, a very mm. dear friend in an old-time Kriyaban here in Mumbai, mm. yeah. just left his body a couple of days ago, and in speaking to his brother, I heard that um, he was meditating, this was at 1.30 at night, and he just finished his sadhana, and the moment he ended his sadhana, he too had a heart attack, and his wife heard some sound, some noise, perhaps he fell, and by the time she came, he had already just left his body, and you think about those devotees who just consistently give their lives to their guru, to God. Just, there are so many stories of the sweetness with which 
just in communion with the masters, just at that last moment, painlessly, instantly, they're ready to return back home. And this is, you can almost say, promise that our Guru made to each of us. He says, if you stay true till the end, I or one of the masters will be there to usher you across. And that's such a kind of very, very reassuring. It's like, all right, all I have to do is, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to, you know, in everything, have worked out all my karma and know everything there is to know about this universe. I just have to be true. I just have to stay strong on the path that my guru has placed me. And then beyond that, there's just so much grace that comes as well. Even Krishna says, no, it doesn't matter in a sense what we have done throughout our life, as long as at the end of that lifetime, we just redirect our energies and we redirect them towards God, towards the divine. There is a moment of grace. So at the end of our life, it's a very crucial moment to see where do we live and where our consciousness is placed. And and you can see here, Lahiri Mahasaya, just a few hours before his passing, he kept that consciousness of his disciples so uplifted at the level of scriptures, at the level of communion with the divine. I mean, like he created that environment where they were high enough, consciously their consciousness was high enough so they could handle their passing. And still we will see right now that it was a very difficult moment for all of them, but he kept them as elevated as possible. So they could also bless him that in his passing. As he says, I am going home. Sobs of anguish broke out like an irresistible torrent. Be comforted, I shall rise again. After this utterance, Lahiri Mahashaya thrice turned his body around in a circle faced the north in, in his lotus posture and gloriously entered the final Mahasamadhi. Now, I can't quite mm. say I quite understand that whole process. But, uh, of course, facing north, north, our guru said, is the direction of liberation. So, when he was ready to leave, that's where his energy was going. In our body, in fact, Master said, we've got the four directions You've got the east, which is right here at the forehead. You've got the west, which is at the back. You've got the south, which is the base of your spine. And you've got the north, which is the top of your head. So the intention being that when the life force exits, because this is the, you know, we always talk about this. Everybody who's had a near-death experience, they talk about this tunnel of light that they pass through. And that tunnel of light is the Shushumna. And depending on the vibration of our consciousness, the kind of life we've lived, whatever our karmic makeup may be, we'll exit from one of these, you know, openings being the chakras at whatever layer or whatever frequency, whatever vibration that might be. And of course, we're hoping and attempting, if nothing else, to try to exit from the very top towards liberation. Lahiri Mahasaya's beautiful body, so dear to the devotees, was cremated with solemn householder rites at Manikarnaka Ghat by the Holy Ganges. The following day at 10 o'clock in the morning, while I was still in Benares, my room was suffused with a great light. Lo, before me stood the flesh and blood form of Lahiri Mahashaya. It looked exactly like his old body, except that it appeared younger and more radiant. My divine guru spoke to me. Keshavananda, he said, it is I. From the disintegrated atoms of my cremated body, I have resurrected a remodeled form. My householder work in the world is done, but I do not leave the earth entirely. Henceforth, I shall spend some time with Babaji in the Himalayas and with Babaji in the cosmos. We talked about this just a little bit. Again, very fascinating concept, isn't it? I leave my body, but I don't quite leave the physical plane. You know, he's recreated a body now. It's a little younger. It's a little more radiant. He says, I'm going to go and spend some time with Babaji before I 
you know, finally merge back into the infinite omnipresent state. But this concept of resurrection, we see just as a repeating theme in the lives of so many of these great avatars. You know, Christ had it, Kabir had it, uh, Sri Yukteswar will have it as we will see further, um, Lahiri Mahashaya has had it. And just this idea that death really isn't anything but, yeah, anything but just this momentary transition, just a shift of awareness from one kind of way of how we look at the life to slightly different, hopefully a higher awareness of how we see life. But that's really all there is. And each of us should, if nothing else, work with that hope and that intention. It's nothing to be feared. We just have this natural fear of death as if if this ends, this is it. There's nothing else. There's oblivion beyond, you know. And that fear just carries lifetime after lifetime. And it's, it's that fear then that forces us to really um, protect this particular identity with just this vehemence. And that's what comes out when you protect yourself, when somebody says you, a harsh word to you, when you get upset, when somebody, you know, kind of tries to take advantage of you. Whatever it is, that protection is based on this fear that this reality is just so important. Nothing can happen to this reality. But if we are able to relax and just see every day as a potentially new reality, and this is what, as we said again and again, this is how Master explained life and death. It's like a day and then going to sleep at night, waking up the next day, going to sleep at night. And that journey of the soul is very much like the journey of ours daily. And every day we don't, we don't fear going to sleep. We don't go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen once I close my eyes and there'll be darkness and then I'll no longer be associated with this body and I'm going to go somewhere else. We welcome sleep. We love it. We're like, finally, after this long day, I get to rest. And if we can see this whole process like that, of course, the masters, they take it to a whole other level, but we don't have to necessarily wait till we get here we too can start shifting our awareness just a little bit. And as we mentioned in the last class, that's why Swamiji said, before going to bed every night, empty yourself in case this be that moment where you slip into another stage. So feel that every night before going to bed. All right, this could be it. Master said, practice dying daily. Not something (laughs) we'd usually recommend to people, but why not? Practice dying daily. Shut off your senses when you go to bed. Consciously try to say, all right, now I'm going to be disassociating myself with this body for a while. And that's exactly what we're doing in sleep. And that's exactly what we do in death. And we can practice that as well in meditation. Yeah, Every time you offer something up, I mean, start offering, you know, things first then people that you really love, then attachments, then, you know, your own personality, the things that you think you are good at, especially, you know, keep, you know, practicing using the power of meditation to, you know, dissolving from within yourself that concept of who you think you are. And meditation can be quite powerful if it's used in that particular way to just, you know, get rid of layers and layers of self-definitions and the ego and the preconception. Preconceptions. Preconception of who we think we are and we have. I would like to bring up also here how even at the end of his life, Lahiri Mahashaya was very aware of the role he had to play in this world. And he says here, like, my householder work in the world is done. He never lost that sense of I'm here for a mission and I'm responsible for that and I'm representing a particular way to achieve freedom in this lifetime and that's the path of the householder yogi and the good you know his disciples you know cremated his body with you know solemn householder rites you know so you could see that until the very last moment of his life 
he represented that and allowed uh, his disciples to acknowledge his mission and the work given to him by Babaji himself. In this lifetime, you are going to represent the householder yogis, all of them. And it's so sweet, no, that he said, my householder work in the world. I'm sure he was Is very that, happy to yeah, say I'm that. I'm sure, I'm all so right. sure. All right. This little play, it's over. Yeah. I don't have to do this again. Now I can go back. I can be with Babaji. I can... Yeah, but so beautiful. He didn't even reject it. No, no he, he assumed it the moment Babaji gave it to him. And, you know, he fulfilled it until the very end. Yeah. With a few words of blessing to me, the transcendent master vanished. Wondrous inspiration filled my heart. I was uplifted in spirit, even as were the disciples of Christ and Kabir, when they gazed on their living gurus after physical death. I don't know if you know the story, especially of Kabir, mm. is when he passes away because he has, you know, he had disciples both of the Muslim faith and the Hindu faith, because he was just such a universal presence. And so when he passes away, the disciples, as for some reason, we enjoy doing this. Start fighting against each other and saying, no, you know, we need to bury him in the Muslim tradition. He said, no, we need to cremate him in the Hindu tradition. And while he's lying there, he, he gets up and he speaks to his disciples. Half of my body will be in the Muslim tradition and half will be in the Hindu tradition. And later on, when they open his coffin, they see that his entire body is transformed into flowers. And then they take those flowers and do that with him. So just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. When I returned to my isolated Haradwar hermitage, which is a place we can still visit on the way to Rishish, I carried with me the sacred ashes of my guru. I know he has escaped the spatio-temporal cage. The bird of omnipresence is freed. Yet it comforted my heart to enshrine his sacred remains. So this is a place you can go and still meditate at where Lahiri Mahasaya's ashes are often when we do a pilgrimage up to Rishikesh or Badrinath, we stop there. Another disciple who was blessed by the sight of his resurrected guru was the saintly Panchanan Bhattacharya, founder of the Calcutta Arya Mission Institution. I visited Panchanan at his Calcutta home and listened with delight to the story of his many years with the master. In conclusion, he told me the most marvelous event in his life. Here in Calcutta, Panchanan said, at 10 o'clock of the morning which followed his cremation, Lahiri Mahashaya appeared before me in living glory. Swami Pranvananda, the saint with two bodies, also confided to me the details of his own supernal experience. A few days before Lahiri Mahashaya left his body, Pranabhananda told me, I received a letter from him requesting me to come at once to Banaras. I was delayed, however, and could not leave immediately. As I was in the midst of my travel preparations, about 10 o'clock in the morning, I was suddenly overwhelmed with joy to see the shining figure of my guru. Why hurry to Banaras, Lahiri Mahashaya said smilingly. You shall find me there no longer. As the import of his words dawned on me, I sobbed brokenheartedly, believing that I was seeing him only in a vision. The master approached me comfortingly. Here, touch my flesh, he said. I am living as always. Do not lament. Am I not with you forever? This is really, I think, the, the most important yes. moment uh, for each of us in, in this time. I am living forever. Sorry, I'm living as always. Do not lament. Am I not with you forever? Now, in one question, it's a reassurance. Am I not with you forever? You know, it's the Guru just telling us, he's making that promise to us. But on the other side, it's also a question. You know, am I? Am I with you forever? Do you hold me with you forever? Do you make my presence real to you? Do you, you know, it's just like, I could be, I am living as always, but am I with you forever? 
because it's nice to say, oh, the guru has assured us that he's always with us, whether he leaves the body, whether whatever. But the real question is, as a disciple or as a devotee of any tradition, are they really with you forever, all the time? Are they living as always in a living presence in your heart? And that's what makes any of what we talk about real or unreal, powerful or just photographs and, you know, names that we kind of engage with every now and then, maybe a prayer before meditation, maybe something in a time of need. And, you know, it's just kind of very sparse, very kind of occasional, very circumstantial. Ab guru ki to, you know, where are you? What are you? Chalo, let me meditate. Chalo, let me change the way that I see the world. But are, am I with you always? Am I with you forever? And that's a question each of us have to really go deep within and ask ourselves, do I really feel the Guru's presence with me always? Do I truly believe that the Guru is living and he's not just a momentary, you know, incarnation? And uh, I know I just felt for just reading this, of course, this beautiful assurance from Lahiri Masha and like, wow, okay. But then the other side of it is like, yeah, but <laughs> I don't seem to be living in that reality. I seem to live in a reality that says they lived and now I'm here and I never got to meet them. But every now and then I still think about them, you know, and that's kind of what the relationship we have mostly with these masters. I was remembering about that story, you know, of this disciple who was talking with Yoganandaji. And they were talking about the power of satsang and the importance of being surrounded by uplifting people. And this disciple who lived very far from where Yogananda and the ashram was, he asked, but Master, what about some of us who are always alone at home? And Yoganandaji replied, am I not always with you? And I think this is... Um, a question that we need to keep asking ourselves and, and, and keep calling out the Guru constantly. As Shurja was saying, not only in meditation when it's easier, but especially when we are so busy at work making those phone calls, when we are with our children, where, when we are working, I mean, are you really practicing? the presence of the Guru within you? Are you working with the Guru? Are you feeding your children with the Guru? Are you cleaning your house with the Guru? Is he not always with you? Of course he is. But how much are we making that presence a reality and alive because there is so much on for so far that the guru can keep you know holding our hand at some point you know we have to reciprocate that energy and that reciprocation comes by constantly calling the guru in anything we are doing and i think the more we practice calling the Guru, the more alive he becomes. So ultimately, the power of making your Guru alive or not, the power to materialize your own Guru lies within us. So up to you, how many times throughout the day you want to start calling your Guru? Come to me. Where are you? Come to me. Let's do this together. Let's practice this together. Let's laugh together. Yes, like Sri Yukteswar were unable to see Babaji. Yes. Like, did you see Babaji? <laughs> he was just at the door. She was like, no. And then Lahiri Masha had to kind of strike him and give him that sight. And then suddenly Babaji is visible yeah. to his physical eyes. It's kind of like that. <laughs> They're all around us and we, we can't see them. We just have no idea how present they are. Just how absolutely present they are until we to develop that sight. And for us... Perhaps nobody's going to come and strike on our foreheads and just magically give us that sight as much as we would like that. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing? But we, we can develop that sight every day by seeing them in everything that we do, seeing them in the people around us, relating to the people around us as if you were relating to the Guru.
And that's what Christ said to his disciples just before he left. Love each other as you love me. And then they will know you to be my disciples. And that's a powerful thing. Or oh, that saying, not that for those who think me near, um, I will be near. Yeah. So it's really all up to us <laughs> how much we want to keep reminding ourselves about that reality. From the lips of these three great disciples, a story of wondrous truth has emerged. At the morning hour of 10, on the day after the body of Lahiri Mahashaya had been consigned to the flames, the resurrected master, in a real but transfigured body, appeared before three disciples, each one in a different city. So essentially the mm. same thing happened at the same time, on the same day. Three different bodies of Lahiri Mahasha. <laughs> so it wasn't even like, Chalo, abhi Panchanan kehaan jate hain. Chalo, bohat ho gaya, abhi Keshavananda se milne jate hain. <laughs> Instantly, at the same time. They could, it could have been a billion bodies if need be, but I guess only three had the, both the blessing, the grace, and the consciousness to attract And that interesting that this was shared only, I mean, after a few years of Lahiri, Mah Lahiri Mahashaya's passing. I mean, this is just something that they found amongst each other. I mean, years later, then we didn't have WhatsApp or email or anything. <laughs> hey, did Lahiri Mahashaya visit you? <laughs> but yeah, when they put, you know, all these dots together, might have been, you know, quite an extraordinary realization, thing to yeah. realization. Yeah. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? This is from the Bible, the first Corinthians. And that ends our chapter 36, Babaji's interest in the West. So let's move on to the next chapter, which is a perfect segue. Here this is Babaji, very interested. And we hear that he, you know, was saying, I'll send to Sri Yukteswar this one disciple who he will train to go to the West, take the practices and the techniques and the teachings of Sanatan Dharma of Kriya Yoga. And so in the next chapter, it is, I go to America. America. Surely these peoples are, people are American. This was my thought as a panoramic vision of Western faces passed before my inward view. Immersed in meditation, I was sitting behind some dusty boxes in the storeroom of the Ranji school. See, Yogananda ji, you remember he starts the school, there he is meditating one day. And suddenly he sees all these faces in his meditation and they do not look familiar. They do not have the familiar skin tone that he's been seeing around as his brothers and sisters. And he says, Americans, surely this must be Americans. The vision continued and a vast multitude gazing at me intently swept actor-like across the stage of my consciousness. And he has a little asterisk here where he says below, many of those faces I have seen since in the West and instantly recognized. Yes. So this is, wasn't some kind of generic, ah, ye white faces, ye Americans honge. It wasn't just like some, I think this is an American scene. They were very individual faces, all of them. And Swamiji once asked Master towards the end because Swami himself came that, Master, of all those faces that you saw, have everyone come to you? And he says, one or two still remain. And only after they came, just a, because when Swamiji came three and a half years later, Master left his body. So that's when he chose finally to leave his body. Just There were still a few left from that vision that he had. But almost all, as he says, at this time, which is 1946, when he wrote this book, he says, since I have instantly recognized and seen many of those faces. The storeroom door opened, and as usual, one of the young lads had discovered my hiding place. Come here, Bimal, I cried gaily. I have news for you. The Lord is calling me to America. Beautiful. The Lord is calling me to America. Not, oh, I'm going to America. I'm 
the Lord is calling me to America. To America? The boy echoed my words in a tone that implied I had said to the moon. <laughs> so for this young child back yeah, in 1920, okay. America was just as far as perhaps the moon is. Yes, I am going forth to discover America like Columbus. He thought he had found India. Surely there is a karmic link between these two lands. I had never thought about it. And I don't even remember this yeah, line before either, from yeah. the autobiography. But that's a very interesting, yeah, interesting thought, isn't one. it? Columbus set out from Spain mm-hmm. with the hope to find India. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, India was, you know, the capital of trade. It just had so many exotic things that everyone in, you know, in Europe wanted. But to get to India was a very long journey around this way. And so Columbus thought, what if I find a quicker route if I go in the other direction? And so he sets off. And up till this point, the entire Americas, both north and south, had not been discovered. And so he comes upon and he hits this land and he assumes it's America, it's India, which is the very reason why the natives of America were first called Indians. That's why we call them Red Indians now, but Native Americans was because he thought, oh, this is India. These must be Indians. And so it's interesting that Master kind of put those two thoughts together. He said, there must be a karmic link because that's with the intention with which America was discovered, with the intention to actually discover a new route to India. Bimal scampered away. Soon the whole school was informed by the two-legged newspaper. (laughs) I summoned the bewildered faculty and gave the school to its charge. I know you will keep Lahiri Mahashaya's yoga ideals of education ever to the fore. I shall write you frequently. God willing, someday I shall be back. I mean, that's an interesting thing. He just, he knew what's happening. When I was reading this chapter, because recently Nani and I did a workshop on... um, intuition. And I was just like, you know, everything in this chapter is just the perfect points of intuition. A thought comes, a guidance comes, instantly being acted upon, put into motion. We are like, oh, waiting, ah, is this right? Please tell me, no, I'll sit longer. And we just have this idea that until everything's not fully formed and everything's not, every step is not already, you know, laid before me. I mean, all he saw was just these faces. He felt, this is America. Lord is calling me to America. Chalo. Already. I'll go to America. Huh? I'll yeah. go to America. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know? No, how, why, well, maybe, perhaps. So just starting, the moment energy enters, if there's any guidance, and not even so worried that, is this true guidance? Is this coming from God? You know, we get really caught up. Is this from my ego or is this... Sitting and talking about it doesn't do anything. Even if it's from the ego, put it into motion. Because if inspiration comes, might as well manifest inspiration, isn't it? So here it is. And then boom, already. Chalo, faculty, this is the school. I'm going. Maybe I'll be back. Maybe I won't be back. Tears stood in my eyes as I cast a last look at the little boys in the sunny acres of Ranchi. A different, a definite epoch in my life had now closed. Henceforth, I would dwell in far lands. I entrained for Calcutta a few hours after my vision. The following day, I received an invitation to serve as the delegate, delegate from India to an international congress of religious liberals in America. So there it is, that confirmation. Yeah. He didn't wait, see, okay, let me see, let me check it out. You know, all right, I start putting out energy. If I feel and I understand and I know, I start putting out energy. The very next day, that confirmation comes. An invitation to be the Indian delegate for this Congress of Religious Liberals in America. It was to convene that year in Boston under the auspices of the American Unitarian Association. My head in a whirl, I sought out Sri Yukteswar in Serampur. Guruji, I have been invited to address a religious congress in America. Shall I go? All doors are open for you, Master replied simply. It is now 
or never. Let's see the steps again. Inspiration comes, action was taken, confirmation came. What are the other things that Swamiji always talks about in intuition? Let it come, put energy out, begin to act, see how the universe responds to your actions, then confer with someone wiser than you. Check. Don't get too cocky in your own, like, ah, I know everything and every inspiration that comes to me must be gold, must be directly from the Lord. Check. All right. This has come. All the steps are aligning. Guru, what do you think I should do? And what does his Guru say? All doors are open. It is now or never, which again, you know, you, these are little things you don't think about. So if it wasn't then, that means it would be never. That was the window that was available. He doesn't explain here probably what he had to go through in order to leave behind Ranchi. I, I don't think Master was like, oh, they will figure out. I'm sure he had to, he was still responsible for those kids, for those children. And this is a school that was very, very dear to Master, very dear. I mean, he thought he would have spent the, spend the rest of his life, you know, working with education and helping, you know, children in India uh, come up with some, you know, spiritual values and a proper education because he saw that children are the future of India, the future of this world. And the willingness to leave behind mm. something that is very dear to you. So when we ask for intuition, when we want to do something, when something is given to us and insight, there is another aspect of intuition that will be required from our side, is that how willing are we to leave behind those things that are so dear to us and makes us feel, you know, make us feel so comfortable. I mean, and in the process of applying intuition, there are many people and things and many projects that need to be left behind for a bigger cause. And that's something that, that people feel an amazing intuition means I will fulfill this and I can carry everything else with me. And this is something that it will be important for us to keep in mind because when God is asking anything from us, means that there is a spiritual growth that is about to start. And it's not about you fulfilling something. It's about how are you changing in the process of fulfilling and manifesting something. So it's, it's quite interesting that Master, you know, hardly even mentioned that. But, you know, this was something very, very dear to his heart. But... You know, what God asked of him was even bigger, and he was willing to channel all these years of investment of my time, energy, dedication, my hopes for these children. These children are counting on me, but uh, I trust God, and I trust that this calling is going to be even bigger than, you know, and God will take care of this school. He will send the right person because is his work after all so he will take care of it but interesting that in the process of fulfilling and acting upon an intuition there are things also that sacrifice sacrifice something has to be let go of whatever that will be but sir i said in dismay what do i know about public speaking (laughs) seldom have i given a lecture and never in English. Just minor details. He's never lectured before. And of course, never in English. You know, everything we're reading over here, all conversations we're reading really took place in Bengali. Mm. I mean, none of this happened in English. Everything in this book took place in Bengali. And that's the only real language that Master knew. And some Hindi. But really, no English. I mean, now English has become such a common language, but, you know, in the 1920s, and it's just like, who spoke it and for what reason? There was really no reason to speak it. 
And so, I have not pub ever publicly lectured, nor do I know English. Do you think I should go to America? And go into a different country, <laughs> yeah, different like, culture. Um, somehow it doesn't quite add up. So, you know, then what comes when an intuition is trying to be addressed? You act upon it, you have to sacrifice something, because Narayani beautifully brought up. A confirmation comes, you confer with somebody wiser than you, obstacles yeah. come. Mm. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't even know how to do this. And so in that process, when an obstacle comes, most of us, you know, again, we start faltering, we start wondering, we start saying, it's going to take more energy than I thought. <laughs> I thought intuition, matlab, it should just come easily to me. But no, I'm going to have to put energy out. English or no English, your words on yoga shall be heard in the West, his guru says. I laughed. Well, dear Guruji, I hardly think the Americans will learn Bengali. <laughs> Please bless me with a push over the hurdles of the English language. When I broke the news of my plans to father, he was utterly taken back. Him, America seemed incredibly remote. He feared he might never see me again. How can you go? He asked sternly. Who will finance you? As he had affectionately borne the expenses of my education and whole life, he doubtless hoped that the question would bring my project to an embarrassing halt. So now again, a minor detail. Where are you going to go from? How are you going to travel? Where is the energy going to come from? Where is the money going to come from? Even if you get there, do you know anybody who is going to take care of you? Now, Yogananda Ji was a renunciate. He had no money of his own. What he got received to start the school was as a patron from the Maharaja of Kashim Bazar, as we remember. And so, that was the next obstacle. The Lord will surely finance me. As I made lie, I thought of the similar one I had given long ago to my brother Ananta in Agra. Remember that chapter? Two penniless boys in mm -hmm. Agra. Without much guile, I added, Father, perhaps God will put it into your mind to help me. <laughs> Maybe you will only be that child. Never, no, never. He glanced at me piteously. I was astounded, therefore, when Father handed me the following day a check made out for a large amount. That large amount was 500 rupees at that time. I give you this money, he said, and this is so sweet, not in my capacity as a father, but as a faithful disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. Isn't that just beautiful? Mm -hmm. That shit, because as a father, no, I miss my son, I don't want to do this. How we are, you know, the identities that we have, but when we step back, so wait a minute. I'm a disciple of Lahiri Mahasha. I'm a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. That requires me to act very differently in this situation. And how do we get as husbands, as children, as parents, as friends, as, you know, we take certain relationships and we just kind of create a certain dynamic around them. But if every now and then we remember, wait a minute, I'm a disciple of this great master. And then that relationship becomes very, very different. I was thinking that just... The night before, no, never, I will never give you this. And then you see, the next day in the morning, he shifted. He changed his mind. I mean, these two souls were, in a sense, disciples of Lahiri Mahashaya. And Yogananda's father, he was a man who would meditate most of the night. So when I was reading this, I mean, as a father who his only attachment is his children. Someone who is fully committed on the path. And then you can visualize the father at night, you know, going into meditation and asking his guru, Lahiri Mahashaya, what is this all about? I mean, you are taking my child away. He has a mission. You know, like just going through that process as a father who is about to let go of one of his dearest children and yet knowing he he has been called by Lahiri Mahashaya to fulfill a worldwide mission so I, I, I like to I like to be 
you know, in each one of them's realities, yeah. no? What they, have, what they have to go through, because even though they are very saintly souls, yet they, they just walk the same path that... The struggles, the struggles yeah. that we have to go through. And then from no, never, <laughs> to take this. I mean, what an incredible shift. And, and giving that money with, I'm trusting my guru. I'm trusting that you are going to be taken care of. And this is something that many parents are struggling with, to trust that God is going to take care of their children. If they really have that belief that, is that he's, the, in after all, he's in charge, yes. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the struggle of, of you know, even advanced souls. The only difference you see is not that they don't struggle, is that the transition between struggle and then relaxing from the struggle is just very short. We'd hold on to the struggle much longer, we'll fight with it a little longer, we'll play with it longer, but it's not so much that struggles just vanish as the time frame between struggle and realization. Struggle and then complete acceptance is what begins to just get shorter and shorter. And we've all seen it when we're on, you know, as we walk the path. It's not like anger necessarily just disappears. It's just like, now we don't stay angry for as long as we would. Mm -hmm. Or the intensity of our anger becomes less. Or the amount that we would put into that situation to really kind of hold on to it becomes less and less and less and less and less. In this particular case, it was just a night. And then as that progress continues, it becomes moments and moments and moments. And then it comes to the point where the thought of of resistance comes and immediately that very thought dissolves into chalo, it's okay. And that's the journey we are on. Never a, oh, I should not be angry at all. And often <laughs> your own loved ones use this against you, don't they, on the spirit? You're on the spiritual path. You, you shouldn't, shouldn't be, be angry. You shouldn't get angry and you shouldn't be this way and you shouldn't be that way. It's just like... <laughs> Well, if anger exists... Like, I don't think meditation is helping you <laughs> yeah. much. <laughs> well, meditation, this nonsense of meditation doesn't seem to be working. And we like to throw that at people. No? You are spiritual, therefore, you should be perfect. A lot of people come here and even in an ashram or in a community setting and they get very disappointed that people are not perfect. No, he still, you know, he spoke to me that way. Well, of course, you know, we're all just working. <laughs> we're all just struggling still to refine into perfection eventually. So don't expect just by virtue of being on the path, any one of us just becomes perfect. It's just that that little time frame gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And hopefully one day we, like the father, says no, never. And then in the next morning it says, Yelo, I'm a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. That, yeah. who am I? Yeah. I'm not your father. That relationship is temporary. In this life, I'm your father. But I'm a disciple of Lehi Masha. It's my eternal relationship. And when you realize that, then you act accordingly. Go then to that far western land. Far. You can just see he's like, Spread there the creedless teachings of Kriya Yoga. I was immensely touched at the selfless spirit in which father had been able to quickly put aside his personal desires. The just realization had come to him during the preceding night that no ordinary desire for foreign travel was motivating my voyage. So it wasn't just that master said, oh, chalo, let me, I want to go see America. You know, just, there's a great power behind it. Perhaps we shall not meet again in this life. Father, who was 67 at the time, spoke sadly. An intuitive conviction prompted me to reply, Surely the Lord will bring us together once more. And of course that happens then 15 years later. later yeah. As I went about my preparations to... Oh, it's time. <laughs> I saw you close the book and I was Yeah, like, oh. I just saw it was 12. Well, so. this is as good a time to end as any... But it's a lovely chapter that we yeah, have begun. I go to America, we get to... And uh, it's nice that this very, this process of intuition just has been laid out so sweetly, so clearly in this process. Because it isn't just 
thought comes, everything's going to work out, everything's going to, you know. We have this idea that because an intuition comes, therefore it ought to mm. be fulfilled. That it should just happen. But as Sri Yukteswarji says, you can do this, but it's now or never. If you don't put the energy out now, some of these inspirations, that's it. Mm. You lost it. It's over. It's not going to happen again. Because everything that needed to happen, just the right circumstances, when that inspiration came, but did you not put, if you didn't put out the energy, if you didn't follow through, then that's it. And then when you put the energy out, the relaxation that comes with the knowing that God is going to provide absolutely everything that you will need. Yes, he will test your willpower. He will test your determination to fulfill that intuition. He will test your willingness to let go of certain things and embrace others. He, he will test you in the process, but there is a knowing within you, and that's a deep sense of calmness that, you know, I'm going to do my best, and, and I know God is going to provide me the right uh, he's going to guide me every step of the way. And this realization doesn't come from presumption, mm. you know, because relaxation comes with a sense of humility that I won't be able to fulfill this at all unless that I have God's power by my side. And, and when you put those things together, relaxation, humility, putting aside the presumption that I have an idea, and now by my power <laughs> I'm going to show everyone how you know, amazing I'm going to do, I mean, it has to be balanced with the really humility and the knowing that I'm nobody. And if I don't have God's power by my side and his grace and his blessings, no matter what intuition I receive, is not going to be manifested. So, so make sure that when we receive an intuition is in tune with God's will for you and you are willing and open to be guided and to be transformed in the, in the process and the certainty that if he gave you that intuition means that he will provide you with whatever you will need. Well, thank you, everyone. Lovely another moment. Tomorrow, we have uh, 